Good morning. As you can see, I'm not Pastor Darren. But I'm glad to be here this morning. I noticed in the bulletin it says I'm a retired pastor. I think it says that, or it says on my program. Well, I enjoy being a retired pastor. You say, why? Because now I'm beginning to do some things that I enjoy doing. One of them is what I'm doing this morning is to encourage the body of Christ, the Church of Jesus, and to help pastors and encourage them in their ministry. And so today I count it an honor that your pastor would give up his pulpit to another pastor and allow him to preach when he's not here. So I want to be very reverent towards that, and I want to accept that wonderful invitation with graciousness today because... I want to tell you that you have a fabulous pastor. And for all of you that didn't clap, you will get converted. (laughs) But uh, I am truly delighted to be here. If you have your smartphone Bible or if you have your hard copy Bible, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's interesting that the new decade, this today, it's 2020. And all of us know that 2020 bears with it the vision, the symbolism, a vision of perfect eyesight. And so this morning, I want to share with you, not to share with you the vision that Pastor Darren, the leadership of this church has laid out, but I trust a vision for your life that God has for it. Since the beginning of New Year's Eve, in Italy, there's a tradition called the Festival of San Silvestro. In that festival, for the last few days, traditionally there is a dinner that's made that's beautiful as only Italian cooks can do. Any Italians in the house this morning? They're fabulous cooks. They always eat the meal with a large spice sausage or a zampone, stuffed pig's trotter. There are a number of funny superstitions also that follow with this festival in Italy, such as wearing red underwear to attract good luck, or throwing pots, pans, and clothes out the window to let go of the past and to move into the future. It is also customary to light a Christmas log before New Year's Day to turn away evil spirits who apparently don't like fire. Today is the first Sunday of 2020. It's a new decade, a new day. It can be the best day, the first day for the rest of your life. In case you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, and the reason why people are gathered here on a Sunday morning, who would get up of of all ages on a Sunday morning to come to church to be here at 10 o'clock. You do. Because you found the living reality in a person called Jesus Christ. And perhaps you're here today and you have not found that reality. I wish to tell you that every person in this room has found the best day, the first day, when they gave their life to Jesus. And I encourage you, if you have not done that, to think clearly upon those things 
I'm delighted that you're doing forensic faith with uh, Andy Stanley. What a great communicator and teacher, and I'm sure that you'll learn some great truths of that. Today could also be a new vision for your life. <clears throat> Today, excuse me, could also be the day of new possibilities and personal growth, which I'm praying will happen for your life. This morning, the ushers have given out a piece of paper, or have they? You all got a sheet of paper? I want you to give them out while I'm talking here. It doesn't bother me that you're walking the aisle. I want everybody to get a piece of paper. But while you're getting this piece of paper, I want us to look at the Bible for a few moments in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out that is fixed for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run the race. I wanted you to notice for the first few moments this morning several things on this scripture. It says to fix our eyes on Jesus, but back up before he says that. He says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And then he says to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Today, I want you to grasp the truth for a few moments of the first part of the Scripture. Next Sunday, we'll talk about fixing our eyes upon Jesus. I don't know how many of you have traveled much, but now they have restrictions of what you can take on an airplane and what is to be in your handheld luggage. I'm always particular because I've, God has given me the wonderful opportunity to preach in other places around the world. And I don't allow my wife to pack my suitcase because I'm very meticulous that my shirts go here, my socks go here, my Bible and sermon notes go here. I'm usually pretty particular, but except for yesterday, I was over on the mainland and I have my computer, and I have my notes on my computer. This is the first time this ever happened to me. And we're driving down the road, and we get to New Westminster, and it dawns on me, I don't have my sermon. I don't have my computer. What an aching feeling. I said, honey, I cannot believe this. This is the first time this has happened to me. Turn around have to go back to Langley to get my computer and my sermon notes. You are very fortunate that I know what I'm preaching about this morning. But you, if you've ever gone through that uh, the security there and they take your suitcase and that guy that doesn't smile at you, he picks up your suitcase and he says, Sir, uh, I think this is overweight. 
I go, no, I packed it. It's everything. I waited even. It's, it's perfect. He says, sir, it is too heavy. And then the most embarrassing thing that could happen to you, at least for me, he says, will you please open it? And I have to open the suitcase. And he looks at it, thank God it's all meticulously laid out. But he says, sir, you have excess baggage. I said, what am I to do with that? He says, either you can take it out and leave it here, or you have another briefcase. Let me see how heavy it is. I think there's room that you can move that to there. And everybody's in line going, my face is getting redder and feel embarrassed. Why did I do this? I'm usually pretty well attuned to how to pack my stuff. But this day, I had excess baggage. And to top it off, you know who found out? It was when I was in Europe, in another country, in another place. Oh, embarrassing. This morning, how do you run your race this morning? The Bible says he uses the analogy, the writer of the Hebrews uses the analogy of a race. And he follows this chapter on the heels of chapter 11, which gives us the heroes of faith, all those people who have accomplished things for God. Some of them have done great things. And others, we don't know their names so much. We're not familiar with them. They've died by the sword. They were martyrs. They were all those things. But the Bible calls them heroes because they ran their race well. And this morning, I want you to run your race well. God is giving you a wonderful opportunity to live for Him and to honor Him every day of your life, 365, 24-7, and to enjoy the possibility of what it is to run your race without excess baggage. So how do you do that? The Scripture tells us clearly. Let's look at it. Let's kind of extrapolate the Scripture this morning. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now guys, I have to admit this morning, ladies, please, if you feel like shutting me out, you can for the next few moments. But I am an avid football fan. I'm crazy about football. I'm glad it's this time of the year because I get to control the TV. Because for the last month, I've been watching Hallmark movies. <laughs> so for the next few weeks, I made a... I made a compromise with Marlene. I'll let you and Janelle watch Hallmark movies, but guess what? January's football month, and I control the TV on Saturday evenings and Sunday after church. So if I get too long, you just tell me, because I need to get home to watch football. But there's a team that's south of us, Seattle. A previous church of mine knew that I loved football so much that they bought me tickets to go to Seattle with my son. 
to watch the football game. I've never been in a stadium like our fans in Canada are wimps compared to the Seattle Seahawks fans. Like we're sitting close to watching the game. We watch the team come out, and the amazing thing about it, they start to pray before the game. And the crowd is roaring, and it sounds like mega, mega decibels. The sound is reverberating throughout that whole Century Links stadium. And they have at the end of the stadium a way up, and you look up, and it says the 12. The 12th man. I was in Langley yesterday. I thought. Canadians were rather subdued with sports, but I saw this young lady. She had this hot sports car. And all on the hot sports car was the symbol of the Seattle Seahawks. And she wrote on it, We are 12. Because 12 symbolizes the 12th member of the team, who are the people who are watching who inspire the game, who inspire the people on the field to play with all they have and to play hard because we're with you in the game. The Bible says there's a twelfth member in the Bible. And it's his many clouds of witnesses that are watching us this morning. And they're looking at us and they're cheering us on for a few moments. Can you get the picture, if you can, that God is rolling back the heavens and for a few moments He's allowing the twelfth member to look down upon us. The dynamics of this, in this stadium of life are the athletic team that went on before us. Standing before us is Noah having heard the command of God to do what was ridiculous in the eyes of his neighbors, he obeyed with simple faith that God knew what he was talking about. And the mindset of the spiritual athlete this morning is so critical to success. He trusted God in whatever he did. And then we see Abraham. He's there with Sarah. Now, if there's any 90-year-olds in the room, I'm not trying to shake you this morning, but God spoke to an old man and said, your wife, who is an old lady, is going to have a child. And in his Jewish accent, he goes, Olay, what is happening here? And God says, this child that you have will be the beginning of a new nation. And you will not be able to count the numbers on your booklet or your tablet of the people that you will influence because of your faith. He's looking down this morning and he's encouraging us to run the race. Then right beside Abraham, there's another guy in the Bible that we read about is Enoch. He was a simple life. He, he didn't have a great name and we don't know a whole lot about Enoch in the Bible, but this one thing we do know about Enoch, the Bible says that he walked with God. And because he walked with God, he was translated into the presence of God. Wow. Wouldn't you want that over the epitaph of your life? You walked 
with God. And then besides Enoch, we read about Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who were the author's mind, who was in the author's mind as athletes, who had looked to the tape of the finish line and were so confident in its reality that they blessed their children in the light of God's promise. This morning, in case you've never done it as a parent, I would encourage you to consider what the preacher is saying to you today. There's something powerful about blessing your children. There's something very powerful about it. When all of our children turn 13, now I have a boy, young man that's 40, another one that's 35, and another one that's it's a girl, so I don't tell you the age. But when they were 13, it was the wonderful privilege because I got it from the Bible that Marlene and I would bless our children. And every one of them received a gift to symbolize their life of the blessing that is on their life. So important. Because how I run the race is how I want my children to run the race. I want them to win well, run well, and to be blessed in this race of life. So this morning, if you've never done it as a parent, you don't have to do it like Marlene and I, but consider the thought of the legacy that you leave for your children. I've had the privilege of preaching in some places around the world, and you always get people that really like you. But you know what? To this day, there's nothing like having a son or sons and daughter Let's say, Dad, that was an awesome sermon. Dad, thank you for putting your life into my life. Thank you for taking your Mondays off. Thank you. That's the legacy that we need to leave with our children. Moses is up there. He catches everybody's attention because he has kind of a massive frame and intense eyes that give him that charismatic countenance that draws the breath of others and seeing that he's up there, he's cheering us on. We have so great a cloud of witnesses. And if I can bore you for a few moments, I have my parents up there. They're up there. My pastors in my life that have put their life into my life, they're up there. They're cheering me on. So I'm able to run this race. Well, the second point I want to leave with you this morning, you need to identify your excess baggage. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Many want to win the race of 2020 and for the next decade. You want to win well. But for a few moments, I want you to identify what have been the encumbrances that have prevented the breakthrough in your life. Notice the scripture says, things hinder us and sin entangles us. Let us look for a few moments, because in the King James Version for hinder, the word that is used is called weight. 
So let's look at the word weight. It says, let us throw off everything or weight that hinders us. How many sports people are in the place? You love football? You love running the marathon or jogging or whatever? You know what? I love football, but I hate practices. Really do. I hated waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning to hoof it off to school to be on the football team. Hated it. But you know what I love? When you won. And one thing about training I learned is that you've got to throw off everything that hinders you. There's two ways that you can look at this weight. One thing is that weight can mean bodily bulk or excess weight. You're looking at me this morning, you say, you don't look very athletic right now. I, I admit, I look like the football now. For spiritual athletes, there can be this bulkiness of too many irons in the fire. Too many branches of expending your vital energy in places that you should not be. So it's weighing you down. You feel weighed down. It's an encumbrance. And God is saying, will you put off the encumbrance this morning in your life to win well? The other thing about if you're a jogger and you've done some running... They used to put lead weights around your legs. I know in football we did. Now they have these fancy things that are weights that are made within a strap of vinyl and you strap it on with Velcro. And you got to run the quarter mile with the weight. You say, really? Yeah, really. It's the pits. And then when you get to the end, the coach looks at you and he says, take off your weight and we're going to run the quarter mile again without the weight. And boy, you just feel like a... Woo! Because there's no weight. Because you put off the encumbrance. Now, for you who like baseball, have you ever watched those baseball guys before they get up to bat? They just don't stand on the sidelines and go, hurry up, buddy. I want up next. He's got a bat, and he's got a ring on the bat, and it's heavy. And he's going like this. Have you ever watched that? And he's going like this. And he's standing on the sidelines, swinging with the weight. You know why he has a weight on it? Because when he takes it off, and he gets up, when he does that swing, it feels so much powerful. Boom! Out of the ballpark. God is saying to you this morning, put off the weight that's hindering you from hitting it out of the ballpark. The next word that meaning for weight that is found in the scripture that I draw out of my Greek lexicon, it says weight can mean the sense of an encumbrance. It's not a sin. 
but something that encumbrances us, something that hinders us from getting through that breakthrough that we need in our life. Perhaps it's a poor self-image, negative comments that can cause us to doubt our value, a defeatist attitude. If we think we're beaten by our circumstances, we'll, we'll never try. Then there's feelings of rejection. Being devalued by others is painful and leaves us feeling unworthy. Perfectionism. If we think everything must be done flawlessly, we won't take risk. There's a fear of failure. We'll miss wonderful opportunities from God if we let anxiety hinder us. Procrastination. Putting off tasks that keeps us from accomplishing our goals. Then there's the lack of self-control. If we can't control our impulses, we easily are persuaded and led off the track. Maybe it's a lack of concentration. When our minds drift, we can't accomplish much. We can go on and on. And the last one I give with you is indecision. and inability to make decisions prevents us from progressing. What's the weight that hinders you? I've given every one of you a piece of paper this morning. For the next few moments, as you allow the Holy Spirit to talk to your life, that's, you say, who's the Holy Spirit? He's that inner voice that speaks to us softly, calmly, and alerts us to the things in our lives that may be good or may not be so good. And for the next few moments, I want you to write down there, we're not going to stay here very long, but I want you to write down what may be the encumbrance that has hindered you from a breakthrough in the year 2019, but you do know this morning that you want your 2020 to be better. You want your days forward-looking to be better than they are today. What are they? Will you write them down? Don't be afraid to. Because I'm not going to look at them. You're looking at it. Write down the encumbrance in your life. Write down the thing that uh, is preventing you from running the race well. Just write it down for a few moments. And as you're writing down, give the other ear to me the other word for weight in the scripture means overconfidence and arrogance many a championship team has lost on the field because of overconfidence and arrogance I was trying to get this clip because it was a powerful clip. It's week 15 of the NFL season. Two teams are playing. One has almost had a perfect se season called the 49ers, San Francisco 49ers. And they're playing the Falcons who are not having a very good season. And I listen to all the commentators. They say the 49ers have got the best offense and one of the best defenses in the NFL. They should literally clean the clocks of the Falcons. 
Guess what? Week number 15, the 49ers don't like to look at because they lost. And I went, yes. They lost. And they lost it within the last 30 seconds of the game where the quarterback of the Falcons pulled it out and they won 29-22. But that's not the thing I wanted to draw you to. I want you to listen to the words of the coach of the 49ers because he owned it. I thought, hey, this is a class act. No wonder the 49ers are where they are at. He said these words. Yeah, we were the favor to win this game today against a lesser team who is also a pretty good team, have been. He says we were overconfident, we were arrogant, and we felt we were going to win. And that's why we lost. I'm sorry. You see, in your own Christian life, you cannot be overconfident. The Bible tells it this way, take no thought or put confidence in your flesh. You see, I've sat on pastoral redemption boards or reconciliation boards where I have seen a good pastor, a very good pastor, who's pastored up to this point in his life very well. But somewhere along in his life he believed the press. And he fell into temptation. And sin got a hold of his life. It could be an adulterous situation. It could be something else, pornography or whatever else. The temptation that came to him caused him for that moment grief in his own personal life, grief in his family's life, and grief in his congregation's life. And I'm sitting there, and I'm younger than the pastor that I'm supposed to be on his reconciliation board. And I'm going, God, please don't let me become overconfident in my abilities and in my strengths or whatever. Because your greatest strength, my friend, this morning is also your greatest weakness. So God's saying to us this morning, do not make a vow that you're confident in this flesh, but please run the race well. And then the Bible says, look at the word sin, the sin that so easily entangles. The Greek word here, euperistatus, is only used in this scripture. It's the only place that it's found in the New Testament or even in the Septuagint, Greek Septuagint. The best that the Scholars believe it, and it can be interpreted as or translated as is easily besetting, easily surrounded. So don't let sin surround you. Don't allow it to entangle your life. 
Don't be self-centered and oriented towards the things that would take away the spiritual vitality of your life. But in this year, put off that which is sinful. Put off those things that not be right. A word that sarcasm. Putting off things that we might be lured to on television that we should not go to or on the internet. All those things, put them off. Don't allow sin to entangle you and to wipe out spiritual vitality in your life. The last point I'll leave with you this morning. Invest for the race and not the sprint. This is not a 100-meter dash I'm talking about this morning, church. It's running 365, 24-7. It's a marathon. And it says, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Some of you are old enough to remember this gentleman, Winston Churchill one of the greatest statesmen that has ever lived, said, success is not final. Failure is not final. It is the courage to continue that counts. The writer here in Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Greek word translated race is agon, from which we get the word agony. It signifies a wrestling match or a race with endurance and determination. It must overcome the aching desire to quit. Have you ever felt like quitting? Have you ever felt like stopping praying? Have you ever felt like this is a way too hard for me? Well, the Bible says it's a race. And sometimes with a race, it's agony. It's that pain that starts in the calf and works up through the hamstrings to the gluteus maximus. At times it's so intense it feels like a burning fire. Agony is the best way to describe her. A wrestler knows the same pain with struggling against a powerful opponent who seeks to crush him. It will be easy to let up and let a fall be declared. But the champion heart fights through. There are times in our spiritual walk we want to give up. Sometimes in our prayer life we want to give up. I don't know if I'm speaking to someone this morning, a parent. You have a strained son or daughter. Please, don't give up. Don't give up on your prayers because when you sow to winning the race. It's not you who wins the race. It's God who's with you and empowers you. And through the agony, He's with you. And He tells you this morning that our struggle is not against flesh and blood in Ephesians chapter 6, but it's against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness and high places in this world. Don't give up. Let me give you an a wonderful illustration. I remember a few years ago, Billy Graham came to our city, and I was on 
the pastoral team that invited him to come. And, and I remember Cliff Barrels, Billy Graham's song leader, speaking to us in Beulah Alliance Church in, in Edmonton, saying, here's one of the greatest stories about not giving up. A little lady had been praying for over 40 years for her alcoholic, drunken husband. And Billy Graham came to their city, and she prayed every night, I wish that my husband would come, and I wish that he'd give his heart to Jesus. I wish that he would make that commitment when Billy Graham and the choir starts to sing, Just as I am without one plea, O Lamb of God, I come. I wish that he would be here. And every night of the crusade, she looks over to the vast crowd and her hubby wasn't there. But thank God she had a wise pastor. And he said to her sister, just one more prayer. Just one more time. And that night, the last night of the crusade, she's sitting up in the bleachers, and she's looking down, and they're singing just as I am, without one plea. And Billy Graham says, if there's a boss that will be waiting for you, you know the drill, some of you that are of my age, if there's a boss that will be waiting for you, there are counselors here at the altar who will speak to you and share with you eternal life. She's looking. No husband. Hundreds have answered the call. And then all of a sudden, she looks down and she says, Lo and behold, one more prayer. Her drunken husband is swaggering up the aisle. And he's not just sitting in the middle or in the front, he's sitting at the back. And in his inebriated form, he walks down the aisle to an altar at a Billy Graham crusade and gave her his life to Jesus. Why am I telling you that this morning? Because it tells me of the power of prayer. Don't give up. Persevere. Persevere. There are times in the Christian life, some of us think that sometimes the Christian life is just everything's going to be honky-dory and a wonderful bed of roses. I wish to tell you that it's not like that but he grants to us perseverance in our agony, in our apparent defeat. Listen to the crowd of 12. Listen to those around us. Verse number 12 of Hebrews chapter 12 says, Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your knees. And then he says, mark out a straight path for your feet. This morning on that sheet of paper this morning, why don't you mark out the path for your life? Why don't you mark out and saying, Lord, today is the first day for the rest of my life. I'm going to see some tremendous growth and victories in my life. And I'm challenging me today to live a life of victory.
Yogi Berra was a very interesting guy. He played baseball. He died on September 22, 2015 at the age of 90. He was 69 years to the day of his Major League Baseball debut. He will always be remembered as a great player, a great manager, a great man, and of course he'll be remembered by many for his yogiisms. Here are some of them. If you come to a fork in the road, take it. A nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. The future ain't what it used to be. You can observe a lot by watching. Once when sitting down to a meal, he said, you better cut the pizza in four pieces because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. Another time he gave this sage advice. Always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. But one of his greatest yogiisms is this one. It ain't over till it's over. I can tell somebody knows it. And this morning, that's the Christian life. It ain't over till it's over. Will you run your race with perseverance today and not give up? That thing that you want to give up on, that dream, that prayer, that need, don't let it go yet. Just one more time. Go out into the deep and cast your net. And if necessary, cast it again one more time. Hey, I'm not a patient guy. I'm a city slicker from the city of Toronto. I'm always wanting to but I remember a group of guys said one day to me, Pastor Jim, let's go fishing. I go fishing. We're out in the boat for a stinking three hours. And we're not getting anything. And I said, Ken, if I didn't love you so much, I'd throw you overboard. We're not getting anything, but he says, Jim there's some great fish here. And I go, where are they? And he taught me how to fly fish. Keep doing it, Jim. And guess who caught the largest fish that day? Perseverance won the day. And this morning, keep casting. Keep throwing. Keep believing. Because the Bible tells us in Galatians that in well-doing, we will reap a reward for how we run our race. Will you do that this morning? And if you're afraid of people looking at that sheet of paper this morning of those encumbrances that you wrote down, why don't you just say a little prayer right now and say, Lord Jesus, Thank you for your grace that will allow me to overcome these encumbrances. Thank you for your grace that will propel me into a new day, 
in my life. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I believe in doing symbolic acts this morning. So you have that sheet of paper. Why don't you just rip it? And say, I'm not going to look at this thing anymore. I'm not going to pay attention to the encumbrances. But today is the first day for the rest of my life I am going to pursue living well for Him. I'm going to live with 2020 vision. Last illustration. Well, when we were pastoring in Edmonton, the, the British Commonwealth Games came to our city, and the track and field meet was, or the long track marathon was laid out in the streets of Edmonton, and it went right by the church that we were pastoring. It was pretty phenomenal. And I really wanted to see the guy who was going to win the race, whom they forecast. He was a Kenyan. He was known to be the world's fastest runner. And he could run. He could hoof it. But you know what? He did what? On that day, he said in his interview, I don't know why I did it. On that day, he looked behind. And when he looked behind, he tripped and fell and was disqualified. Don't get disqualified, church. Do it well, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Run well. Let's just bow our heads in prayer before Mr. Geiger comes and does the pastoral blessing. Father, I thank you for every person that has been gathered today. Now I pray that your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, will do his work in our life, and that we will live according to your ways. I pray, Lord, for a wonderful, powerful 2020. In Jesus' name.